Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to the Michael Slate Show. We've got a great show for you, but to get us started, let's listen to this. All right, so that's some of the voices from the streets of Iran right now, the uprising. And a little later in the show, we're going to bring you a segment on what is happening there. Now in its fourth week, a glorious, beautiful, heroic uprising, which started and was sparked after the death of Masa Amini, Masa Gina Amini, at the hands of the so-called morality police of the Islamic fascist Islamic Republic of Iran. Uh, four weeks in going strong and, and spreading from the burning of the hijab, the mandatory head covering, and the revolt against the barbaric enslavement of women in that society to a broader revolt against the Islamic regime as a whole. And I will be talking about that later in the hour. You heard some of the energy from the streets. They are going strong in the face of repression, bullets, batons, imprisonment, torture, and more. So that'll come in a little bit. Uh, we're going to start the show off with uh, some discussion from about the Ukraine, a very powerful segment from Rafael Caderas that he put together for the RNL, Revolution Nothing Less show. We'll bring that to you here. And towards the end of the hour, we're going to talk about abortion, the emergency facing women's lives and driving towards female enslavement in this country, the theocrats of this country. So we're going to cover it all. We're going to look around the world. We're going to bring you some music along the way. And to kick us off and to set the tone and to set a challenge to each of you listening uh, and all of us together to our responsibility in these times that carry such high stakes for the future of people, not only in this country, but all over the world, which depend a lot on what we do. I want to start you out with this audio from Bob Avakian, the revolutionary leader, talking about what we need to be thinking about and acting in relation to. It is the responsibility of everyone who recognizes the profound need for revolution and the rare possibility in a time like this to actually make revolution, to wage a tireless and at times fierce struggle to win more and more people to make a radical rupture with the confining and degrading terms of this system, and to take up and act on the revolutionary orientation and motivation that is put forward in the declaration and call. Instead of staying in your lane and going for self, I stay in my lane. Always put you first. While this system is moving to even more decisively crush any hope for a world worth living in, people need to be looking at the bigger picture, focusing on the greater interests of humanity and the possibility for a far better world, and acting to make this a reality. Instead of finding excuses to go along with the way things have been, standing apart from or even bad-mouthing the revolution. Oh, they're f***ing Revcom? God damn it, dude! People need to get with this revolution and not throw away the rare opportunity to be part of bringing something much better into being. Instead of lashing out with individual acts of frustration or attempts to take on this system with small, isolated forces that have no chance of succeeding, people need to pour their anger and their hatred of injustice 
into building a movement of millions that could have a real chance to defeat this system and make a real revolution. Instead of fighting and killing each other, what people need to be doing now is uniting to defend each other, opposing all unjust violence, not launching attacks on anyone, but at the same time, not allowing the police or civilian fascist thugs to wantonly brutalize and murder people. And people need to do this as part of building up the forces for revolution. Instead of snarking and sniping at each other and being divided by identities, people should be working to unite everyone from every part of society who can be united in the fight against oppression and injustice with the goal of putting an end to this system that is the source of this oppression and injustice. Instead of being a tail on the democratic donkey with its attempt to keep this monstrous system going and to deal with the growing fascist danger by relying on the normal procedure of this, of this system and doomed efforts to heal the divisions that are deepening every day, people need to work for the revolution that is urgently needed and deal with the fascist danger as part of doing that. All right, as I said, that was the voice of Bob Avakian, the revolutionary leader and the architect of the new communism, who has been analyzing that we are in a rare time when not only is there a rising fascism, an intensifying threat of open inter-imperialist war, even nuclear war spiraling out of the confrontation, the proxy war now going on in Ukraine between Russia and NATO and US on the other side. Uh, proxy war now that could spill into greater conflict. We'll, we'll be talking about that in a moment. But at a time of all these dangers, heightening destruction of the planet, the threat to human civilization itself, we are facing something terrible, but Baba Vakian has also analyzed we are also facing a moment that has the potential for something truly emancipating, a heightened potential out of these dangers to actually make a real revolution, to get rid of the system that is the source of all these outrages, the system of capitalism, imperialism, and those instead you just heard from his work, something terrible or something truly emancipating, where he gets into and lays out a roadmap for wrenching a revolution out of this situation. That roadmap is available at revcom.us. And those insteads are a very powerful orientation for us all to lift our sights, to think about the whole world, to think about what humanity needs, not me first, not my people first, not America first, but humanity first. So with that, I'd like to move forward into our first big segment on the Ukraine. With that, let's listen to Rafael Caderas of the RNL Revolution Nothing Less show. Imagine if the most bloodthirsty gangsters in the world kidnapped and threatened to kill your child. What would you do? Would you ignore it? Would you sit around hoping these gangsters come to their senses? Would you root them on? Or would you do everything you could to rescue your child and knock down every obstacle in your way? Well, two of the biggest and most murderous gangsters are not just holding your child hostage, they're holding the world hostage and threatening to kill millions of children, if not all the children on the planet. 
The president warning the risk of nuclear Armageddon has not been this high since the Cuban Missile Crisis. Risk of nuclear Armageddon in today's massive explosion of the only bridge connecting Russia with the annexed territory of Crimea. The House has approved a $40 billion aid package for Ukraine. Money for military, largest single military package yet for Ukraine. We want to see Russia weakened. Russia's annexation of occupied territory in Ukraine. Armageddon, nuclear Armageddon. Armageddon, nuclear war. Это не блин. It's at this moment that Biden, when speaking at a Democratic Party fundraiser in New York, said, We have not faced the prospect of Armageddon since Kennedy and the Cuban Missile Crisis. I don't think that there's any such thing as the ability to easily use a tactical nuclear weapon and not end up with Armageddon. For the first time since the Cuban Missile Crisis, we have the threat of a nuclear weapon, if in fact things continue to go down the path they are going. We are trying to figure out, what is Putin's off-ramp? Where does he find a way out? Now, you might think that Biden is really sounding the alarm about nuclear war in order to prevent it. And from what Biden is saying, you'd think Russia is the only one pushing things in this direction. This is complete bullshit. I have four points to make about this. One, Biden is preparing you to accept the possibility of a nuclear war that could end humanity. He compares the situation to the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962. Well, the president at that time, John F. Kennedy, said the danger of nuclear war with Russia was 50-50. Think about those odds and the fact that we're in a moment like that now. But does Biden say that there's absolutely no way that this can be allowed to happen and he'll do everything in his power to back off from the brink, disarm his nuclear weapons and work with Russia to stop this? No, he says this is the path things are on. Now, think about his use of the term Armageddon. This is a word that comes from the Bible and refers to the final battle between good and evil. And of course, we're all supposed to assume the U.S. are the good guys in this scenario. Armageddon means a catastrophic conflict, a battle that could end the human race and destroy the world. And that is exactly what could happen if a nuclear war broke out between the U.S. and Russia. Each of them have thousands of nuclear weapons, and many of these are hundreds and even thousands of times more powerful than the ones the U.S. dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which instantly incinerated tens of thousands of civilians in the fireball and shockwaves and killed tens of thousands more from the lethal radiation. In other words, these two countries have more than enough firepower to annihilate much of life on this planet many times over. The fact that the leader of the only country ever to use nuclear weapons, armed to the teeth with nukes and the capability of using them anywhere in the world, is talking in terms like these should be an electric shock and a wake-up call. But most people have their head in the sand acting like it's not even happening. Or they're just hoping it works out, acting like there's nothing that can be done about it. Or they're egging this on, calling for Biden to go even harder against Putin. This is completely irresponsible. It is gambling with the lives of billions. Do you really want to look back from amidst the rubble and radiation if you survive and regret not having done more to stop the rulers of this system from doing what they clearly said they might do? Seriously, people need to wake the f up too. 
Let's look at why Biden is saying that if Russia uses a tactical nuclear weapon, we could end up with Armageddon. So-called tactical nukes are usually described as smaller with a more limited range of destruction. So how could that lead to Armageddon? For one thing, Russia and the US have tactical nukes that are actually more powerful than the bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Second, and even more importantly, we are dealing with two gangster imperialist countries battling each other for world domination. And just like the gangsters in the street, you have to show strength, not weakness in the face of the enemy. If your enemy infringes on what you consider to be your turf, not only do you have to retaliate, if you want to achieve dominance, you have to escalate. For example, we've heard retired General David Petraeus float out this possible response to a Russian nuclear strike on Ukraine. Just to give you a hypothetical, yeah. um, we would respond by leading a NATO, a collective effort, that would take out every Russian, con Russian conventional force that we can see and identify on the battlefield in Ukraine and also in Crimea and every ship on the, in the Black Sea fleet. So it Do you really think the U.S. could escalate in this way, dealing crippling blows to Russia's non-nuclear military capabilities without Russia escalating further, using the one game-changing weapon they would still have? This kind of talk is playing with fire. And you hear this kind of thing all the time from people who've been indoctrinated to think like the U.S. imperialists. People say, we can't back down because that's letting Putin use nuclear blackmail. This is the logic of a system that's willing to destroy humanity before it backs down. As Bob Avakian put it, humanity cannot afford any longer to allow these imperialists on any side to continue to rule the world and battle over who will dominate in this situation, with the very real and dire threat this poses to the future and the very existence of humanity. And by the way, just who the hell is this we in these kinds of comments? Do you really wanna see yourself as part of the worst gangsters in human history? Of course, if you do nothing to stop them, if you turn your head away or keep your head down, then I guess you actually are part of the we that's going headlong in a potentially horrific direction. But is that really who you wanna be? Is that who humanity needs you to be? Think about it. Three, when Biden says we are trying to figure out what is Putin's off-ramp, where does he find a way out? This makes Biden seem like the reasonable one and Putin is the irrational aggressor. But someone should ask Biden, Where's his off-ramp? If he's so concerned about a way out, why does he keep funneling billions of dollars of weapons to Ukraine? Why doesn't he call for immediate peace negotiations? Why doesn't he declare unconditionally that the US will not use nuclear weapons? In reality, both sides are deeply committed to their strategic objectives, and neither side can easily back down. Since the fall of the Soviet Union, the U.S. has been expanding its military alliance, NATO, further and further east, seeking to encircle Russia militarily. Meanwhile, the Russian imperialists are trying to challenge the dominant position of the U.S. and prevent Ukraine from joining NATO and further encircling Russia. Now, with this invasion, the U.S. sees a big opportunity to weaken Russia and has been backing the Ukrainians to this end.
The House has approved a $40 billion aid package for Ukraine. Money for military. Largest single military package yet for Ukraine. We want to see Russia uh, uh, weakened. The fact is, neither side has an off-ramp from their conflicting objectives. Both sides are pushing things to an even more dangerous situation. And here I want to briefly critique something Noam Chomsky said on Democracy Now! earlier this week. In this interview, Chomsky did sound the alarm about the danger we face and made many insightful observations. But there was a big problem. Let's watch. Either the great powers will find a way to accommodate and work together on our common problems like global warming, nuclear war, pandemics, and so on. Either they will find a way to accommodate or we all go down to disaster together. It's as simple as that. If those are our only options, it is not looking good. Why? Because these divisions between the great powers are not just a matter of the whims of leaders like Biden, Putin, and Xi Jinping. Yes, they make policy decisions and can be compelled in certain circumstances to change those decisions. But fundamentally, these leaders are presiding over and dealing with the imperatives of a capitalist imperialist system driven by the competitive chase for profit and the commandment to expand or die. This leads to wars for resources, for markets, for control of trade routes and strategic parts of the world. In other words, hoping they find a way to accommodate and work together is a recipe for disaster. In point of fact, there is another option, revolution to overthrow and replace this system with a completely different socialist economic and political system based on meeting the needs of humanity, not the profit of a few. This is not the easy option, but it is the only option that can deal with the root causes of this. And it is possible. But while you're learning about and digging into this revolution, it is unconscionable for anyone to stand aside from what's in front of us now. Which brings me to point four. This whole dynamic needs to be urgently and radically changed. Instead of standing by passively, hoping for the best, or even worse, cheerleading for this dangerous escalation, people need to be challenged and think deeply about the truth of these words from Baba Vakian. All this emphasizes why it is vitally important for the masses of people in this country and other countries allied with it, as well as in Russia, for people everywhere to finally and fully wake up now, recognize the real and profoundly heavy stakes involved, and act in accordance with our actual interests, the interests of all of humanity, demanding that this war in Ukraine and the involvement, direct and indirect, of the imperialists on both sides in this war be stopped before it not only causes even greater suffering for the people of Ukraine, but possibly escalates into a far more terrible conflict, which causes massive destruction and death on a whole other level, and even possibly poses a threat to the very existence of humanity itself. For a start, spread these slogans far and wide. Scream them at the top of your lungs. No US-NATO war with Russia. No World War III. It's this system, not humanity, that needs to become extinct. 
We don't accept their future. It's time to get organized for a real revolution. Rafael Caderas, and that was a segment he put together for the RNL, the Revolution Nothing Less show. It's a YouTube show that Andy Z hosts, that I co-host, uh, available at youtube.com slash the Revcoms. You should definitely watch and subscribe. I want to re remind you that you are listening to the Michael Slate Show. I am your guest host today, once again, Sansara Taylor. I'm so happy to be with you. Um, so with that, I want to move forward in the program, and we're going to go to Iran. Let's listen. توی کوچه رخصیدن برای ترسیدن به وقت بوسیدن برای خواهرم خواهرت خواهرامون برای تغییر مغزها که پوسیدن برای شرمندگی برای بیپولی برای حسرت یک زندگی معمولی برای کودک زبال گرد و آرزوهاش برای این اقتصاد دستوری برای for dancing in the streets, for our fear when kissing loved ones, for my sister, your sister, our sisters, for the changing of rotted minds. These lines from a powerful song, Baraye, or Because, which the singer Shervin Hajipur stitched together from social media posts of people across Iran, give just a sense of some of the reasons the people there have filled the streets relentlessly for the last four weeks even in the face of murderous repression, a righteous uprising that was sparked after the vicious murder of 22-year-old Masa Gina Amini at the hands of the fascist Islamic Republic of Iran's so-called morality police. Her crime? Allegedly wearing her hijab, the head covering that is mandatory for all women and girls age nine or older, improperly. جنگ اثر رنگی هستی بیا که بدون تو یه خونه لنگه 
میدون جنگ بیا که وقت ساختم تو دل دشمن بدون ترسه میدون جنگ دارا و ندار اثر غم و تبار مثل فشنگ قطار میدون جنگ تیغه شمشیر عشق شهامت و زین کن و جنس سفر وفا فصل اتحاد مرگ اختلاف افتخاره تکه کنم به هموطن بشم تکه گاهش شروع خروش و تقیان مردمه چشم ساره فصل سمزدائی وسط باز و حزق باد هر تفکری که داری با هر دین و آین کنارمون بیست سالها کنار تیستادیم ما نره خشمه هزار بی صداییم شورشی کمریشه انقلابی داریم عرب و آشوری ارمنی ترکمن مازنی سیستانی و بلوچ و تالش و تاتو آزری پرد و گیلک یور فارسی غشقایی ما اتحاد رودهاییم دریاییم ورزشکار و هنرمند دست فروش تا کاسب از محصل و معلم مهندس تا کارگر میکنیم کرگوش دیکتاتو رو با ساز حق زن زندگی آزادی میجنگیم تا پای مرگ شونه به شونه پا به پا دیوار دفاعی باورم به هم بستگی مثل ایمان الهی مثل مسخ دین مثل مجنون بی باکسینه چاکی میران تومه یه این بیگانه ها نیست میدون جنگ اثر رنگی هستی بیا که بدون تو یه خونه لنگ میدون جنگ بیا که بخت تاختم تو دل دشمن بدون ترسه میدون جنگ دارا و ندار اثر غم و تبار مثل فشنگ قطار میدون جنگ تیغه شمشیر اش شهامت و زین کن و جنس سفر وفا دستای گره تو دست هم جهان تو دست ما سانشوی قهرمان تا خیابون و رفت فارس ایران و فروختن رفیق رفت خونت بباد وقت تصفیه میذاریم جلوشون صورت حساب میدون جنگ خورشید و گرفتن خواب خوش به شب نذاریم براشون نه طلا تومم موج دارم پشتوانم به ایران به میلیون بده کاریم به این خونه آزادی رو آبادی رو بده کاریم و شادی رو واسه دیکتاتور و شغالاش و حامیاش بند و گرفتاری رو میدون جنگ جان ازم پا پس نکش با جنم با هم تهش رو میبینیم چون فت میکنیم میبینید که جنگی شدیم چه نسلی تولید کردید که ریز و دروشش هم زده تن بی باکه تشه یه جور آزادی از زندگی سیرابه شکوه ما اتحاد آیندتون سیاهه شبه میشیم تو شب کابوس میشیم براتون در پس این دوزخ فانوس دیدیم در آن سو دار جلو دارم نیست نه سرکوب و نه قانون نره میکشم و میام که جوگ پر هیاهو میدونه جنگه اثر رنگی هستی بیا که بدونه تو یه خونه لنگه میدونه جنگه بیا که وقت تاختم تو دل دشمن بدون ترسه میدونه جنگه دارا و ندار اثر غم و تبار مثل فشنگ قطار میدونه جنگ تیغه شمشیر اش شهامت و زین کن و جنس سپر بفا Don't call us rebels. We came for revolution. These lines from a rapper named Tumaj reflect the spirit, the courage, and the hope of this uprising that has captured the attention of the world. This uprising has brought people together across generations and nationalities and from among all sections of the people. As the Communist Party of Iran, MLM, put it in a recent statement, with the murder of Masa Amini by the Islamic Republic's hated murder patrol, Thousands of people rose up in dozens of cities and provinces, and Iran is once again witnessing a massive, widespread popular uprising. But this is a qualitatively different event from the magnificent popular uprisings of the last few years. This is the beginning of a situation that could lead to the overthrow of the Islamic Republic. This statement is titled, Goodbye Garbage, It's a sarcastic reference to the song, Hello Commander, which Iran's school children have been forced to sing, which praises Iran's supreme religious authority, the Ayatollah Khamenei. 
And it is beautiful to see these school children rising up, shouting down the Basiji, the religious authorities, and stomping the pictures of the Ayatollah that used to hang on their walls. It is beautiful as well to see this rebellion taken up by oil workers who went on strike and blocked the roads. <laughs> to see digital warriors disrupt the official broadcast of the Islamic Republic with a picture of the Ayatollah on fire with the faces of Masa Amini and others who have been killed in the uprising and the words, join us and rise up. The blood of our youth is dripping from your claws. Nader Mahdavi, who has been given the name of Mahdavi, who has been given the name of Mahdavi, who has been given the name of Mahdavi, And to see women and men around the world standing up with those courageously rising up in Iran. At the same time, it's crucially important to understand what is pointed to in the same statement from the Communist Party of Iran, Marxist-Leninist Maoist, Goodbye Garbage, where they write, we saw volcanic flames of anger and empowerment in the proud scenes of recent days. The start of a revolutionary process does not ensure its inevitable victory. The victory or defeat of this revolution depends on various factors. The key issue is that this time it should not be allowed to be diverted. In order to eliminate the source of all forms of oppression and exploitation, to bury the veil and oppression of women, to eradicate poverty, misery, and hunger, to eliminate national oppression and cultural and political tyranny, to save the environment, we have to overthrow the decadent Islamic Republic and over its ruins build an entirely different economic and social system, namely the new socialist Republic of Iran. Too many times, it has been the case that masses have risen up, whether in Iran in 1979 or Egypt in 2011 or many other instances that could be cited, only to see one oppressive and reactionary regime replaced by another reactionary oppressive regime. This must not be allowed to happen here. For this reason, it is a great thing for humanity that there is a force in Iran, the Communist Party of Iran, MLM, that has the necessary orientation and is fighting to gain leadership and grow its leadership and influence to be able to take this struggle where it needs to go, to a real communist revolution that brings down and overthrows the Islamic regime and breaks firmly and fully out of the grip of the global system of capitalism imperialism, most especially the domination by U.S. imperialism. We need to support them and strengthen their efforts, spreading the statements they have published everywhere we can. We have these statements posted at revcom.us. Go there, read them, get them out to others. But also, if you are living in this country, you need to take responsibility for actively opposing 
the efforts of your government to influence and divert this uprising towards its ends. Biden, the New York Times, and many other mouthpieces and actors of U.S. interests are working openly and no doubt behind the scenes to take things where they want them to go. But the U.S. is not a liberator, not in Iran and nowhere else. Go to Revcom.us and read about the actual history of the U.S. and Iran. Read about how the U.S. backed a coup there in 1953 and then propped up the murderous and rightly hated Shah for more than a quarter century and all the torture and the nightmare that this caused Iran's people. Read about how the U.S. stoked and fueled both Iraq and Iran in a bloody conflict, treating the people of both countries as cannon fodder and stealing the lives of hundreds of thousands of people over eight years in order to maneuver for advantage in the region and against its rival at the time, the Soviet Union. Read about the crippling sanctions the U.S. has imposed on the people of Iran and the grinding poverty, the deaths and the misery this has caused and continues to cause by the day. And as for the U.S.'s claims of backing women, look no further than its decades of steadfast support for Saudi Arabia, which is every bit as women-hating and repressive as Iran. The fight to keep the U.S.'s bloody claws off the fate of Iran's people should not be left to Iranians to fight alone. We have to wage this fight here, and we must do so as part of preparing and organizing to fulfill our biggest internationalist duty to the people of Iran and the people of the world, making revolution here, bringing down this system in its most powerful bastion, lifting the weight and the terror of U.S. imperialism off the backs of the people of the world. All right. You are listening to The Michael Slate Show. My name is Sansara Taylor. I am your guest host for an extended period here on The Michael Slate Show. And I'm very happy to bring you that segment on Iran. I want to take a moment and dedicate a song. Iran's young women and youth, as well as people from all sectors of society, are risking their lives and laying down their lives in the fight for life, freedom, and the right for women to be treated as full human beings. And in this struggle, there have been many who have lost their lives already, but I especially want to remember and say the names of Nika Shakarami, Serena Esmail Zaydeh, and Hadis Najafi, young women who have lost their lives in this struggle. And I'd like to play a piece, a lament by the Czech cellist Hauser for Nika. And I'd like to dedicate it to all of those who have lost their lives, all of those who've been imprisoned, and all the existing long-standing political prisoners of Iran. Free them all. Let's listen.
That was for the young women and the young men who have given their lives in Iran. And it is for all of us to stand up and, and to have the backs of the Iranian people rising up and to stand against any interference by the US government to derail their struggle. Uh, we need Iran to be free and we need humanity to be free. And with that, we'll go to our final segment for today, which is on the abortion rights emergency. It has now been over 100 days since the fascist-dominated Supreme Court overturned women's fundamental right to abortion. 15 states have already stopped providing abortions altogether. 22 million women and girls of reproductive age now no longer have the legal right to decide for themselves when and whether to have a child. And the Christian fascists who are driving this assault are not stopping. They are moving aggressively to criminalize all abortion for all women in all circumstances, to tell women that their aspirations, their plans, their dignity, and their physical safety, even their lives, mean nothing. They are aiming for a society that is far more suffocating and oppressive than even the worst of what most people today can imagine. And as was made clear when this fascist movement latched onto Donald Trump, the society they are fighting for, that they are rapidly advancing us towards, will also incorporate the crudest and most vile sexual degradation and misogynist violence alongside its sanctimony. The rage that millions felt the day they learned that the Supreme Court had obliterated the right to abortion, the fury that millions feel when they hear of women being forced to carry a dead fetus for two weeks because the doctor doesn't want to risk being sued for an abortion. The horror and the shock of learning that a court in Florida told a 16-year-old that she would be forced to have a child against her will because she was not mature enough to have an abortion. All this and more needs to be tapped into and called forward in massive struggle in the streets outside this system's elections and in opposition to the narrow terms that are set by these elections. There needs to be a sustained and society-shaking fight that tells the truth. Forced motherhood is female enslavement. Women need abortion on demand and without apology, legally, nationwide. With this in mind, we want to let our viewers know that this weekend, Rise Up for Abortion Rights will be holding a national forum via Zoom titled, Voting is Not Enough. We need struggle in the streets to win legal abortion on demand and without apology nationwide. This forum will feature Merle Hoffman, the CEO and founder of Choices Women's Medical Center, and myself. Both of us are co-initiators of Rise Up for Abortion Rights, and we'll be digging into these questions. What is driving this assault on abortion? How is it that after 50 years of precedent, women's constitutional right to abortion was overturned? Where is all this headed? You're being told that the only way to win back abortion rights is to row your vote in November. But will voting alone really stop this Christian fascist assault on women's lives? What could actually turn the tide and win legal abortion on demand and without apology nationwide? And how can you, wherever you are, whoever you are, be part of this struggle? The event will be emceed by Sam Goldman of the editorial board of Refuse Fascism, Patricia Wallen 
will present statements of solidarity from around the world. And Chantel, a national organizer with Rise Up and a member of the Revolution Club, will provide some orientation for organizing and some upcoming plans. Last Saturday, the Women's March held protests around the country. And it was very good that they did this, even as the main message they were pushing, that those who support abortion rights should focus their efforts on voting and mobilizing others to vote in this upcoming election, was dead wrong. It was important that Rise Up was out there at those protests alongside others. That said, it was not a good sign that the turnout to these protests was very small overall. So this online forum this Saturday will be an important step in giving people the understanding, the orientation, and the fighting plan they need to fight to bring forward the resistance that we need. It's also vitally important that Rise Up is fighting to come back even stronger in the face of vicious and baseless attacks that were leveled against it and against the Revcoms and against the revolutionary leader Bob Avakian by woke opportunist wreckers of the so-called movement who themselves didn't do to stand up against the overturning of Roe. Far too many people who had been part of Rise Up fell prey to these attacks. So if you are somebody who fell away in discouragement, you need to snap out of it. You need to realize that it is going to be a hard struggle and there are no shortcuts. There is no easy way to deal with what has already happened and what is almost surely to happen if nobody stands up and fights. And if you are someone who left on bad terms, misled by people who hated Rise Up and the Revcoms far more than they hated this system of oppression that is rapidly destroying women's lives and threatening much worse, you need to come to terms with the damage of what you got caught up in, the damage that did. You need to criticize it, and you need to get back into this movement while fighting to raise standards overall. So this is an invite to people new and old who are serious about wanting to stop this assault on women to get into what it will take to wage this fight together. Rise Up for Abortion Rights is encouraging supporters to bring people together for watch parties at their homes and to spread the word very broadly, to use this event to organize others. And so we urge you to tune in and to spread the word about this event this Saturday, October 15th at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time. And we will include a link to the registration for it in the description below. At the same time, we here at the RNL Revolution Nothing Less show challenge and invite everyone who cares about women's lives and fundamental rights and everyone who loves justice to not just join this fight for abortion rights, but to look deeply into the leadership and work of Bob Avakian, the revolutionary leader these opportunist haters want to scare you away from. Learn about the revolution he is fighting for. The truth is that the only way to fully and finally break all the chains that bind women and to bring into being a society and world where not only are women's fundamental right to abortion and birth control never again put up for a vote, but where all the chains of oppression and exploitation are being broken and dug up in a lasting and thorough way, is to make the kind of revolution that Bob Avakian is actively providing leadership for. Watch this show regularly. Spread it. Get into it as we unite broadly, shoulder to shoulder, in the fight for legal abortion on demand and without apology everywhere. And of course, the show that I was just asking you to watch and spread is the RNL, the Revolution Nothing Less show. You can find it at youtube.com slash the Revcoms. You are listening now to the Michael Slate Show. And my name is Sansara Taylor. I'm happy to be your guest host once again, standing in for the wonderful, I was going to say my, my dear friend, 
who I love very dearly, Michael Slate, who you all know and love very dearly and have been listening to for 20 years. We've got some time left, so I'd like to play this. I had three before, now I've released it to two. Um, so the first one is in relation to the oppression of women um, and the uh, material basis for why it cannot be resolved under the system. And you know, you said that to abolish uh, oppression of women, you need to abolish the private ownership of the means of production. Um, and I understand you said that by referencing that oppression of women was, you know, emerged with the division of society in classes and, uh, you know, with the development of a private appropriation. Um, so, you know, like, so that's a fact, you know, that's, that's a fact. But right now, you know, like what we see right now with oppression of women is that it has taken all different kinds of forms. Uh, and it is very confusing for me to think about, you know, like how, how is it that private ownership of the means of production define that women must be oppressed? So I have a hard time like wrapping my head around that. Oh, uh, well, let's see. How many hours do we? Oh, no, this is a big question. That's what, you know, I, look, the point is, if you want to talk about getting, getting rid of the oppression of women, one of the things that you have to do is get rid of the, of the, the whole family as it exists under capitalism and patriarchy as it exists. For example, how is, how is private property, and I don't mean toothbrushes, but I mean wealth, how is that passed on from one generation to the next? It's not put into a common pool and then everybody draws from it, not under this system. It comes down through the family. So, you know, if, if you were trying to uh, get rid of a system with all these vast disparities of wealth and so on, you couldn't maintain a system where the wealth was privately owned and then passed down through the family. Because then you would just be perpetuating the system of exploitation and the inequalities that go along with it. So you would have to, you'd have to get rid of the whole thing where wealth and the family are you know, completely bound together. And the wealth becomes social wealth which goes to people according to their needs and is, and is enlarged by people contributing and go, according to their abilities. That's the goal you want to get to. So, if you kept capitalism, if you're going to keep capitalism, then you would have to keep this, the family, the structure whereby things are consumed through the family. That, you know, like the, the capitalists and the religious fundamentalists are always telling us that the family is the basic unit of capitalism, at least many of them are. And it's true, if you think about how do people live, I mean, there are a lot of variations now. Some people don't, you know, some people aren't married. Some people don't have kids. Some people have kids that are not married. They're all different kind of variations. But in one form or another, the main way that people actually live and survive is through some kind of unit where, and, and let's remember, you have to raise future generations. So you have to, have, the kids can't do for themselves when they're two months or two years old or eight years old. So you have to have some sort of, under, under this system, you have to have some sort of system, some sort of unit through which that happens, and that happens through some kind of a family unit. Uh, not all of them are headed by males the way they used to be. They're all kinds of different relations. But still, the traditional family still is the dominant institution in terms of what largely exists. 
even with all these changes. And if you look at the world as a whole, that's definitely true. Because this is a, let's keep in mind, we sometimes look only through the prism of what, what's right around us or just this country. This is a highly parasitic country. Another way to say that is it's the very high end of the food chain. You know, we're, you know, I saw recently a statistic that of all the people who work producing things, production workers in the world, 80% are in the third world, if you include China. So, you know, a lot of what we ends up on our, you know, plate or in our closet and our houses is made by people in all different parts of the world. And most of them are living in situations of the traditional patriarchal family. You know, so you, sometimes you can get things skewed just looking at what exists right around you in, in this country. But even here, if you, you know, there's still the unit where, you know, wealth and, and the ability to live comes through the family. And if you were going to keep the system of capitalism, you would have to keep that family. If you, you know, if you try to imagine passing on wealth through some other means under capitalism than doing it by inheritance and through the family. So then you got the question, well, can you have equality in the family under capitalism? If you're going to keep the family, can you get rid of the oppression of women in the family? Well, okay, first of all, again, there's the whole world. But then also, within, just within this country, so let's even just leave aside the rest of the world, but which we can't, but just for the moment. Even, even within this country, okay, in order to have, in a society which has the whole patriarchal tradition and, you know, the, the, the patriarchy has been, as I said, to, you know, woven into the fabric of this society, in order to have no inequality, even within the family, you'd have to mandate that from the government. First of all, you'd have, to, you'd have to say everybody has to enter into some kind of, of relation that makes up a family. And because we'd have to have some way that we're going to have inheritance and all the rest of it. All right, then you'd have to have the government under capitalism if you're going to get rid of inequality within the family where the, where the women are not the ones who are doing most of the family work, even if they also have a job, you'd have to have the government come in and actually supervise that. And, and you'd have to, and you'd have to have, you'd have, what about all the people who aren't in families? Are you gonna, are you gonna make all of them get into families? This is, this leads you to uh, Handmaid's Tale type of stuff. The, the government also, all of a sudden is mandating that everybody has to be in some kind of familial relationship. Even if they were, even if, even if it's an updated version, you could have gay marriages and trans marriages and all kinds, but everybody has to be involved in some kind of family and it all has to be equal. You can't have a division of labor that's unequal. Well, that means that you'd have to mean that everybody had a job that allowed them to be equal in their family. Because if some people had to work more than other people, or at lower wages or so on, then one would become dependent on the other. Just, you know, why do a lot of women, for example, stay in these relationships where they're battered all the time? Even raped by their husband. Just let's just say battered all the time. 
Well, partly it's, you know, they become convinced, you know, because of the culture. They become, internalize their own oppression and become convinced that they must have done something wrong. But a lot of it is financial coercion. You know, that they may have kids. How, how am I and my kids going to survive? This guy is a terrible, you know, he's a terrible tyrant, but he brings in the money that we need to live on. If I, if I break away from him, how am I going to live? So, you know, so you, and this is a very common problem, you know, and, and so how, how, you, how would you eliminate the dependence where one person, is everybody going to have under capitalism the same job where they have the same finances so that they, so that they, neither one would need to be dependent on the other financially? You, if, if you start going down the, the road with this, you can see how it's totally unworkable under capitalism. You have to get beyond all that sort of thing in order to have a situation where women would not be in the, in, the inf in the inferior position, given the whole way things have historically evolved. Now, you know, you can get islands of things in the, in the professions and so on, where women can carve out a position of not being necessarily, but they still, you know, uh, necessarily in a, uh, uh, on the downside of an unequal relationship, or have no relationship at all with a man, you can do that. But they're still living in a larger society and culture. I mean, look at the culture out here with regard to women. How, how can a woman really be equal and free of all the, all the different expressions of oppression in a society like this one with this culture? You know, where, I mean, a tremendous amount of the, of the, of the pornography and strip club culture and all that is exactly in response to a section of women getting a certain amount of independence and position where they're not so dependent upon men. And so this is a way of, of, of reinstituting that, you know, we, in, in, well, it's not completely abolished, but, you know, it's, it's a way of concentrating that subordinate position in a very grotesque way. Well, you may not be able to, you know, I, I saw a thing where a guy who go, went, I read an article, a guy went to a strip club and he, he, he was talking about, how for $20 he could get this woman to strip. And he said, that, really, that gives me a real good sense of power that for $20 I can make this happen. Well, think about that. You know, so, so this is what you're dealing with in the culture at large. So once you start really walking this through, you can see it's impossible. You have to, you'd have to transform the whole economy. You'd have to transform all the historically evolved relations between the genders with all the different variations to get rid of all of, like I said, all vestiges of oppression. And you have to thoroughly transform the culture. You know, and, you, and under capitalism, again, if you walk through it, it just can't be done. You cannot, it, you, the reason it comes back ultimately to the, to you, you were asking, why is it the question of the, you know, private ownership, the means of production? Why is it, why is it the mode of production? Why is it the economic system that's ultimately involved? because of what I was walking through. It's, there are many other manifestations and forms, very real forms of the oppression of, of women that are not reducible to economic relations. And you have to go after all that. That's why I say you've got to transform the culture, you've got to transform all these social relations. But if you don't have an economy that allows you to do those things, then you're not going to be able to do it no matter... You may be able to, like I said, fight and win certain reforms, but then you know, they're only going to be partial and they're always going to be under attack. So you have to go after all these different dimensions of the oppression of all different people who are oppressed 
But then you also have to transform the, the foundation of society, the economic system and the economic relations, in order to have the basis to really carry that through. As, uh, as I said in the New Communism, you have to have a mode of production that doesn't prevent you from doing that, and which, on the contrary, actually fosters and facilitates that, makes it more possible to do that. So that's the relationship between all these different manifestations and the underlying economic system, or sometimes called the mode of production. Thank you to Gary Baca for engineering. Thank you to Henry Carson for producing. My love to the whole RNL revolution, nothing less crew. I will be back next week. این اقتصاد دستوری برای این هوای آلوده برای ولی اصر و درختای فرسوده برای پیروز و اعتمال انقرازش برای سکهای بیگناه ممنوعه برای گریه های بیوقفه برای تصویر تکرار این لحظه برای چهره ای که میخنده برای دانش آموزا برای هاینده برای این بهشت اجباری برای نخبه های زندانی برای کودکان افغانی برای این همه برای غیر تکراری برای این همه شعارهای تو خالی برای آوار خونه های پوشالی برای خوشی پس از شبای طولانی برای غوث های حساب و برای برای دختری که آرزو داشت پسر بود برای زن زندگی آزادی برای آزادی